Are you a nonprofit professional who's feeling overwhelmed and burnt out? Well, welcome to the Lead with Heart podcast. I am your host, Haley Cooper. On this podcast, we will share stories of leadership, courage, and empathy that'll help you learn to take care of yourself, your staff, organization, and community. You will hear from nonprofit leaders who have been in your shoes and have learned best practices to raise more revenue and make a greater impact. Let's thrive together. Hello, and welcome back to the Lead with Heart podcast. This is your host, Haley Cooper. And today I am here with Brian Ford of the Self-Improvement Daily Podcast. He is the host and founder of this podcast, which has earned over 16 million downloads in five years. And I'm here trying to record with him. Thank you so much, Brian, for taking the opportunity to speak with me today. Thank you so much, Haley. I'm really looking forward to it. So I know that we like had a whole call a few weeks ago and I learned a little bit more about you, but can you talk a little bit more about your experience and what led you to picking this very niche self-development track and career? Sure. Yeah. So I'll take you back to college, which was my bubble popping moment. So I grew up in a very privileged area, which was Newport Beach, California. And I assumed that the rest of the world looked like Newport Beach, where you turn 16, you get a Mercedes, and you have the tutors that you need. You go to private school. It's, everything is tied in a perfect bow for you. And that's the bubble that I lived in, which is an incredible childhood, but it's not representative of what everyone else experiences. So I left that bubble and I went to college. I played Division One soccer at UC Davis up in Sacramento. Also an incredible town, also a very safe place to grow up. But It was more a melting pot of people that were different from me in that there was a lot of the state that had come together here to go to college together. And the one experience that really stood out to me was I met a teammate of mine. His name is Chris, and he came from Sacramento, but specifically Natomas, which is a tougher area of Sacramento. And he was sharing a little bit about his background and some of the expectations and standards that were placed on him and how he's able to excel and work his way out of that. And that's where I like really had an introspective and self-reflective moment of, man, this guy, Chris, comes from these different circumstances and he still was able to climb his way to the exact same objective measure as I did from all of this privilege, which is we're on the same soccer team in college. We accomplish the same amount educationally. We accomplish the same amount in our sport. What does this mean about me and about him and our potential? And that's where I really started to realize that there was a world outside of the world that I knew and especially the one that I'd experienced. So that really inspired me to say, okay, cool. What can I do to be able to make the most of this elevated platform I have to be able to step up and be a bridge for opportunity with those who are less fortunate from myself? And that's where I was able to really discover the two different faces of the work that I do, which is the self-development and personal development work, as well as the social impact work and how I support people with that, right? So it, it really was that introspection that allowed me to get into the spaces that I'm in. And ultimately, deepening my path into the personal development spaces, I found that I was reading the books, listening to the podcasts, I was watching the TED Talks, I was taking the courses, I was doing the things, right? Where I thought, cool, like I'm consuming the content and I'm growing, I'm getting better, I'm learning. But I realized that there were limitations to that. And I was still disappointed, felt like I wasn't necessarily expressing my talents and gifts to the world as far as I wanted to. I didn't have the habits or the discipline that I thought that I should for the level that I was at. And I wasn't necessarily following through on the things that were most important to me, which made me question if I was capable of reaching my goals and achieving my dreams and stuff like that. So then I got really tactical about what does it look like to apply self-improvement, not just to talk about it, not just to think about it, but actually do it. And that's where I developed some really kind of core processes that I help others implement in my coaching these days. That's really tangible and tactical and ultimately designed around helping people to 
live as intentionally as possible, where they're making choices in the moment to to serve them and their mission and to make sure that they're showing up as the be- very best version of themselves in whatever ma- moment they find themselves in. So that's how I got into this space. And the podcast was just a natural development from that in that I wanted to be accountable to the processes I was implementing for myself. So becoming an educator of that was really good accountability. And yeah, 16 million downloads later, it just took a life of its own and it's been transformative for me. Well, thank you so much for sharing. And I didn't know this, but I'm from Newport Beach too. Oh, so. cool. <laughs> there, so you there can relate with, uh, with the ecosystem and the environment that it, that it is, which is a great childhood, <laughs> but it has a certain... It has a certain skin to it, a certain flavor to it, which we're both aware of. Yes, definitely. And you mentioned something important about in your own journey, doing a lot of introspection. And I would love to know your intake because I feel like people can be apprehensive to the term introspection and like having to go into yourself. But I think people are a really unique position right now where they are like reflecting and being like, okay, what I set out and what I thought success was isn't necessarily what I want it to be. Priorities are shifting. The last two, three years have really shined light on what people care about. And so I would love your input on what introspection looks like and how you can use it as a tool to really develop the life that you want. Yeah, such a good question. I actually shared on the podcast, I believe it was last week, a tip about giving yourself your undivided attention which is foreign to us because we think of our own days and the way we spend our time. The last thing that we prioritize is time with ourselves. And it's gotten to a point so much because we're so overstimulated and busy and things are happening around us that we actually are uncomfortable with being in our own thoughts. So we find that other thing to just reflex into and it ends up being destructive for our development because we don't have that moment to actually reflect on what's serving us. So giving yourself that undivided attention is huge. And the best way to make that happen is for it to be a core routine and pillar to the things that you do, right? If you're trying to fit it in when time frees up, there's going to be 40 other things competing for your attention at that time. Whereas if you can be intentional about setting aside the right time that is dedicated for that kind of work, that's when you can actually follow through on it. So it ties into another larger philosophy I have just related to improving anything in general, but specifically your personal development, which is the think, plan, do, review cycle. So you're you're saying introspection. Another word for it is review. And we think of this through a business lens, right? You always have your reviews to figure out what's working from different strategies and tactics that you're executing on. But have you considered doing the same for yourself, having your own internal review processes? And I have rhythms where on a daily, weekly, monthly, and quarterly basis, I check in with myself and I review how things are going in my life. And, And that's when you realize that in order for something to improve, you need to have a plan or a strategy. You need to execute it. You need to see how you did, then you need to have a new planner strategy to execute that, right? It's a cycle. And that's the only way that things can get better is if you actually implement the adjustments that are required for you to take things to the next level. So that's what I do in my own introspection is every single night as part of my night routine as I pause and I reflect on how is my mental health? Like, did anything come up today that affected it? And if so, then I can address it. I can gain some more awareness around it. I can speak into the truth of it. And if there's something that needs to be addressed about it, then I can take actions at that point to reach out to someone to resolve something or to change something about my life and my standards, whatever it might be. But then instead of that small deviation within my mental health compounding and going so out of control because it hasn't been addressed in the immediate moment, now you actually have the control to be able to refocus, recenter, get back in alignment so that it doesn't take over or hijack you and create results unconsciously that you didn't intend. So the, the best thing, and this is my recommendation about anything, is if you want to do more of it, you just got to make time for it, right? Like 
as long as you prioritize it and you try and protect it. And I understand with families and other responsibilities and commitments and things going on, it is hard to do that. But then finding the right balance and finding the right intention within that is at least a little bit more practical, especially as it relates with people in the social impact space. I find that you're starting a family and you really care about your work and you want to pour as much as you can into your mission. You want to show up at your very best. And then maybe that's too exhausting and you don't have the discipline or the motivation or the energy that you want at home to be able to exercise, reflect, or even show up as energetically as you want for your family and loved ones. And the most important thing to consider is that when you find yourself in those different places and you are constantly pouring into the cause, you need to fill your cup back up because that's what the cause needs. It needs you at your very best. And your cause being, of course, your mission, your work, but also your cause at home, your family, the people you care about and yourself, you're worthy of it as well. So yeah, that's that's the way that I think about like practical self-improvement is if you make it a priority and you redefine your standards, especially through life transitions, you have a new job, you're growing your family, you're not necessarily able to follow through on the fitness goals that you had once before or the crazy, the self-care habits and the meditation routines, like all of these different self-care things. You need to adjust your standards so that they meet you in your current environment and context rather than being disappointed that you aren't achieving it to the fullest extent that you used to. So. Those are some tips and guidance around just how life evolves. And as long as you evolve with it and you change your expectations and standards around it, then you're always going to be serving yourself a little bit better than you were otherwise. Hey there, podcast family. If you're like me and deeply committed to improving your leadership skills and fostering better connections with your team, I've got something truly amazing to share with you. I'm proud to introduce the EMC Masterclass, something I talk about often as a certified trainer. It's an incredible program developed by the renowned Dr. Lola Gershfield, an organizational psychologist and corporate emotional connection expert. You might remember her from a podcast episode where she shared invaluable insights into the world of emotional connection. Dr. Gershfield's EMC Leaders courses are designed for anyone working with people. Whether you're a manager, supervisor, team leader, educator, coach, mentor, or a team member, this program is truly for everyone looking to enhance their communication and collaboration skills to raise more revenue for their mission. Now, let me tell you why the EMC Masterclass is a game changer. Dr. Grossfeld's groundbreaking emotional connection process has been integrated into top universities' curriculum and recognized by international organizations like ICF. HRCI, and SHRM. Humans are wired to seek emotional safety, and when we feel safe, we're more likely to take risks, share innovative ideas, and collaborate effectively. The EMC process is the catalyst for creating that emotional safety within your team. The virtual EMC Masterclass consists of eight modules with four hours of expertly recorded material, 13 quizzes to reinforce your learning, and a workbook filled with activities for offline practice and something I still refer to daily. Ready to become an emotional connection master? Dr. Gershfield is offering an exclusive detail for our podcast listeners. Use the code LEADWITHHEART to enjoy a generous 10% discount on the EMC Masterclass. Head over to emcleaders.com and enroll in the EMC Masterclass today. Yes, I love that input. And thank you so much for sharing that perspective. And I love that you 
you said like we can do our own internal audit where you think can do review and consider and review your processes internally. And I love that you said you take time to review your mental health every day. And I think for me and something that I've evolved and we talked about this when we had our first initial meeting was my idea of self-care has changed a lot in the last year. And I think it reflects some of the things that you were just talking about in terms of sitting and pausing with ourselves and really understanding how we're feeling and understanding the language of emotions. Because I think we're so conditioned to push those down and just keep going and going forward. But that's what leads to burnout. I've seen it in personal relationships with family members. I've seen it in colleagues who don't have the space and haven't created that space for themselves to no fault of their own, obviously. It really, we don't learn in leadership classes or in school how to really understand the language of emotions or that self-care and prioritizing ourselves. We're told to go achieve, be successful. And so I just love that perspective that you offered. And I would love to ask you this question of, I think a lot of people, one, don't think they're worthy of providing that self-care, don't have the tools to do it, but also out of that lack of worthiness, don't know how to ask for help and ask for that space. I know in my own personal relationship, my husband knows if I don't meditate, like first thing in the morning, like he has to give me that space to meditate and work out or else it just throws off our whole day. And I know it throws off my mental health as well. And that's something that I prioritize and have a list of daily non-negotiables. And so I was able to have that conversation with him and be like, hey, this is what I need. How would you that's a long-winded question, but how would you empower people to one, feel worthy of it, but also ask the people around them for that space to be able to take care of themselves? Yeah. No, that's a, it's a dense topic and there is a bunch of different ways to answer it. The the first thing that came to mind, I think is the most impactful is understanding that the decisions you make in the moment aren't only a product of the moment, meaning you're frustrated and you want to ask for help, but then you're getting in your own way because of some belief that you have or some unworthiness piece that doesn't serve you and you know it logically, yet you're in this emotional moment and you can't get through it. So then you don't get the help that you need. So being able to redefine the way that you relate with these core moments is a huge piece of it. And also to be able to be as intentional in having your ideal follow-throughs in place in advance before the moment arrives. Meaning, and I guess relating it to one of what I call the fatal flaws of humanity, or at least human design, is that we are optimized around immediate gratification, right? So that ends up causing us to engage in vices or things that feel good in the moment, but don't serve us in the long term. And then also we're inclined to respond emotionally in the moment because our emotions inform our rational mind and the decisions that we're making when it comes to actually making a choice. So the way that you can counter at least against the second of those is when you have the intention is clear around, okay, I need to ask for help. These are some areas for improvement. These are some of my weaknesses. These are the spaces that I want to get into. Your unworthiness doesn't have the same kind of voice when you don't feel emotional. So you can almost be on your own shoulder as a third party, reviewing yourself, reflecting on yourself, being like, hey, if I were to give myself advice or if I were to give someone else advice and that person across the table and the other chair being yourself, You can give them more objective advice that doesn't pull from your own insecurities. And having that moment to be able to determine, oh, I need help in these areas. 
And then also having a plan or a script that you can play out when the moment happens and say, and this is how I'm going to do it, will hold you accountable in the moment, despite your emotions of being like, oh, I'm unworthy. It's not going to work. I had this moment myself even yesterday where I was like, hold on, do not like reflexively respond based on how you feel. That doesn't serve you. Tap back into what was your plan? What, what do you want to do here? And then I was able to follow through on taking action in a way that was more in alignment with who I want to be versus how I was feeling in the moment. So that's one of the, the first things I'd recommend is you can curb the bias of emotional decision-making by having advanced planning and understanding, hey, this is the North Star. You're doing that and determining it in an unemotional state. And then when you do enough of that work to figure out what is that pathway, what is that destination, who do you want to be, then you're more accountable to being that person in the moment. So that's, that's one of the first things. And then the second piece as it relates to unworthiness, it's a pandemic, right? I think you're like, no one is alone in their unworthiness. I think we all have a version of it. It is one of the most crippling things that are happening to people is just the way that we've grown up to, to, to almost like discredit the ways that we have shown up for ourselves. And the perspective I'd offer is so often we see the highlight reel of other people and we assume the best intentions of other people and we only see the results that others are willing to share with us. So we assume that their version of reality is just this elevated, improved than our own. And meanwhile, we can't get out of our own head. So we see all of the imperfections, all of the issues, all of the problems that we don't see in other people. So we just assume that we're unlike other people and we are less worthy, we are less capable, we aren't as good, whatever it might be. And just like being practical about if you are in someone else's head and hearing the way that they talked about themselves, you'd be like, hey, stop that. Are you kidding me? No, that's not you. And, and that's exactly what's happening in your own head. So it's, it's just the awareness of like your consciousness is so profound and it is, it, there's, it's so detailed that you can't possibly experience that in someone else. You only experience a fraction, a sliver of it. And that is just the punchline of their life. So it's giving yourself more grace through all of that helps you to combat the unworthiness because it ends up crippling you. You, you procrastinate, you get distracted, you don't take action on the things that are most important, which then compounds into this cycle of even less fulfillment, less activity, less productivity, whatever it might be. So two different alternatives and very different sides of the coin compared to the question that you asked, but I think both relevant. Yes. And I love that those two perspectives. And I wanted to talk a little bit more about, I, I follow a doctor called Dr. Amen. He's local to Costa Mesa. And he always posts on his Instagram, like, how do you want to feel good? And making decisions because his whole thing is being brain healthy. So making decisions that are brain healthy, making those daily decisions or daily moments of how do I want to react? How do I want to show up today? And I start my day with vision exercise of, and it doesn't always go perfectly, right? Things are thrown for a loop, but like, how do I want to show up today? How do I envision my day going? What do I want to get accomplished? And before I used to think, oh my God, I got to get like, I have to have all the things on my to-do list, right? And then at the end of the day, I would be stressed out because nothing got done because I would get that analysis paralysis where I'd be like, I don't even know where to start. So I would love you to talk about like how people can build those habits to get daily non-negotiables that help them choose those positive life choices. And I think making those positive life choices again and again helps build up that self-love and that self-worthiness because you're like, oh, this feels good. Like this is an immediate gratification, but this is something that's long-term and those positive life choices add up because it doesn't just influence yourself. It influences those around you and people catch on. Like my husband, 
I, I have my daily non-negotiables. I have four of them. And he was like, oh, I should probably catch on to that. And so he started like journaling, doing a gratitude journal and reading his Bible and doing things like that. And like, he was like, oh, my mood is shifting because of this. And I'm choosing to show up for myself in these small ways, but making these choices is grounding me in what I believe and grounding me in the truth of even just simple gratitude exercise, right? Like I can be stressed out about life, but I I have all of these blessings in my life. So what are some habits or I know we talked about habit stacking, Mm -hmm. uh, not on this call, but like how can people start with those daily non-negotiables and making those positive life choices so they can start to feel good because everyone deserves to feel that way. Sure. Yeah. You've actually answered the question in subtle ways that I'm going to be able to point out, which is really cool. I'll get to that in a second. The first question to ask is, or I guess the first thing to challenge about why you're not doing these things is your relationship with being productive overall. You mentioned the to-do lists of, oh man, and we place so much value in what we get done and just asking why is that the case? But then also beyond that is redefining, well, what is productivity? And it's not just about getting things done. Living productively is just spending your time doing the things that you want to be doing. So when you start realizing that scrolling on social media actually serves a purpose for a brain break to catch up with friends and you do it in moderation, you have temperance with it, which is just the right amount. It's not none of anything. Temperance is meant to give you the right balance of whatever thing that you're consuming, right? So it's, you could be on social media, you could be playing video games, you could be playing with your dog, right? You could be working out. All of these things aren't labeled by society and culture as productive because they don't move the needle in the things that are like work related, but they're productive for you because you're spending your time doing the things that are most important to you. So that's the first thing is you can actually give yourself permission to do those things and still be very productive because it fits into that more broadened definition is the first piece. Now, the second piece, and this is what you're touching on more directly, is your environment. Your environment is so much more influential of your behavior than your willpower is. We think of being disciplined, following through as, oh, I need to hustle, grind, I need to get it done. There's almost like a point of pride in being disciplined. And yes, like you need to express your discipline in certain settings at the right time. It's there for a reason. I'm not saying that willpower is never required, but you need to be practical about, well, what is actually a more effective and sustainable source of the kind of power that we're hoping to activate? And that is your environment. There are a few different forms of environment. So the one that you mentioned is your social environment. So it's the people that you surround yourself with. Your husband has been a byproduct of your positive habits, right? So he is now engaging in more positive things because you are within his orbit. Your energy is influencing his. So if you want to engage in more positive habits, you find the people doing the things that you want to do and you spend more time with them and you get around them, right? So it's your social circle is one of those first kind of core environments. Then you talk about your physical environment, right? Let's say that you want to exercise more. You want to take care of yourself more. You want to meditate more. Any of these self-care habits that you're talking about are probably non-negotiables. What you can do is lower the barrier to entry, set up your environment for success, right? Oh, my meditation app, it's on my home screen. So I encounter it more often throughout the day. And when I have the time allocated to it, I know exactly where it is and I click it. Or for exercise, it's exactly what you want to do, where you're going to do it and how you're going to do it. So instead of in that emotional moment of figuring out, okay, it's time to exercise, what's it going to be? And then you have that paralysis by analysis. Instead, you're like, oh, let me play out the script. I'm going to do 15 of these reps. I'm going to go to the gym, blah, 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 right? So you can structure your cognitive environment and your decision-making process in that way. And then the last piece, which kind of comes back to the unworthiness side, is your subconscious environment. So realizing that 
you're not in control. The beliefs and stories that have been indoctrinated into you for so many years, they run the show, right? So much is happening without our awareness. And that's why part of the personal development movement is gaining more awareness and bringing consciousness to what is unconscious. Because with consciousness and awareness comes choice. When you make a choice, you can make the right choice, do the right things, take the right actions, get new results, right? So that's how understanding that this unconscious bias ends up influencing the results you get without your awareness. If you can gain more awareness or be specific and intentional about what your unconscious is communicating to you, that will help you to follow through on the activities that you hope to do, right? And there's a whole, I can go down a whole lane of exactly how to transform your subconscious. That's like my expertise. So it's, that's a really exciting and possible route. <laughs> the punchline is consistency is key. The more consistently you do something, the more it transforms your subconscious, leaves an imprint on the person that you believe yourself to be. I'll leave it at that. But yeah, so those are some of the those are some of the quick hitters in terms of you want to get into better habits. That's what you got to do. Set up your environment, change your relationship with productivity. And then the last one is literally carve out the time to do it because then you realize if you're being distracted or not. And that will that'll just make sure that you can be more accountable to doing the things that are more, most important to you. My goodness, I love the way that you frame that. And I, yeah, it's taken a level of me to really re, yeah, redefine that productivity and what that looks like. And really changing my environment. And I want to go there, if you don't mind, of the subconscious work, because that has been a lot of what I've done over the last year and a half of really rewiring my subconscious mind, because I can set up, I can set up the environment, right? I can set up, but if there's that still, like you said, that like stall because of how our brain has been wired, we might not actually execute. And so I would love like a little bit more insight into how you frame that for people or how you, some of the things that you offer for people to, I believe you can literally rewire your brain. So what are some of the ways that people, can one realize that that is a block? Because a lot of people, and it goes back to that introspection, right? Like we talked about and being more self-aware of when those things come up. But how, what are some things that people can do to get over those blocks? Yeah. So first, start with the end in mind. You can't build the boat without having the, the drawings for it, right? And that's anything. Like, no matter what you are manifesting, creating, compounding into something, you are always creating results. It's whether you're creating the results that you want to or not. So the same goes for your subconscious transformation. I think a more approachable word is your mindset, right? Like, how do you change your mindset? All your mindset is, is it's your patterned way of thinking. And that comes from the beliefs that you have and the way that you relate with things, which is from your subconscious, right? So we'll just call it mindset. So the way, there are two different ways to upgrade, change your beliefs and mindset. The first is trauma. And I say that without the trigger of what trauma means, because trauma just means a highly emotional experience. So if you have a highly emotional negative experience that leaves an imprint on you, you shape beliefs and you scar and build around that as your identity. And that's who you believe to be at your core. And that's your belief system, which then is your mindset, right? The other side of it is highly positive emotional experiences. These moments where you have these big outlets, these releases, these wins, these defining moments in your career, in your life, when your kids are born, right? Like these are moments where and people have transformed when they see their kid for the first time being like, wow, like I need to step up. I need to be the father. I need to be the mother for this child. And your life changes because of that traumatic experience, which is a positive trauma, right? So that's the one way is to like really know that these key moments are forming you. You have a little less control over those moments because they do happen in such kind of intense ways and often unexpected ways. So that wouldn't be my recommendation, but that's just kind of one piece 
that's important to understand when it relates to upgrading your mindset, your belief. So like trauma is one of those influences. The second one, which is entirely in your control, and this is what I said, consistency is key, which is that your behavior is the evidence of your subconscious mind. And to explain this quickly, there's a relationship between your identity, which is who you believe to be. It's the values you hold. It's the way that you exist and your behaviors, which are the things that you do and the actions that you take. What happens is your identity influences your behaviors on an unconscious level, meaning you have a certain negative identity, you have a, an addiction or a bad habit or something that lives in your kind of identity and subconscious mind that influences you to engage in behaviors that are similar to that. And this is unconscious, you're unaware of it. And then when you do that behavior, you then reinforce that identity because your behavior is the evidence that your identity needs your subconscious needs to confirm, oh yeah, I must be like this because I do these things, right? And that's the communication pathway between the two of those things. Now, if you want to have a new identity and you want to engage and behave in new ways within your nature and unconsciously, then you need to actually replace your beliefs, your mindset, and your identity at a more subconscious and rooted level. And the mechanism for doing that is just providing new evidence, new proof for your mind to then realize and say, wait, I thought I was gonna be this person because your belief holds a certain way, right? I thought I was going to smoke a cigarette when I was offered. I thought that I was going to outburst in this scenario where my partner set me off. But instead, what I did was I rejected the cigarette or I didn't outburst and I had more emotional control. And then your brain needs to reconcile, huh, what does that say about me and who I believe myself to be? And the more consistent you are in taking those positive actions, those specific behaviors, the more you're reinforcing a new identity that is congruent with that behavior. So that's the identity behavior feedback loop. Your identity informs and encourages you to do certain behaviors. That behavior then can strengthen the original idea identity. Or if you do a new behavior that is different from what's expected, you create this question mark in the brain to say, oh, I must be this person. Let me consider that. And you do that enough times, then you start actually transforming your mindset at a fundamental level to say, oh, I am this person. Because look at all the times that I've responded favorably, that I've been productive, that I've rejected the cigarette, whatever it might be, that helps you to see yourself at a subconscious level in a different light. So that's, that is the subconscious transformation process. Now, in order to make it like a little more tangible, and this is, this is like one of the coaching programs that I offer. So I offer a 21 day challenge about building the habit of self-discipline. Okay. Because maybe you procrastinate, you get distracted, you don't take action on the things like you make excuses, you negotiate with yourself. There's always an exception, right? That is a belief and that's been learned and that's been comfortable for you for so many years. And that's related to just our evolutionary past of taking the law of least effort, the path of least resistance. That's just what we're hardwired to do. So that is a natural inclination a lot of us have and it will run riot unless we intervene. And that's where this challenge helps you to intervene, which is we brainstorm and we implement the two specific habits that help you to develop the mindset of being self-disciplined so that at your core, you develop what I call your best self-reflex. When you know that there's a positive decision to be made, you're more likely to make the right, healthy, empowering decision than the other one because you've cultivated that into your mindset. And the way that you do that is you get consistent with two very specific actions that reinforce that new identity of being self-disciplined, which is actually a subconscious priming audio of affirmations and, and primings that you listen to and you engage in positive physiology exercises that teach you a positive association with being self-disciplined. And it helps you to plant the seed of that new identity and reinforce it every single day as you listen to the audio. And then the second is doing some tiny task that represents your commitment to being self-disciplined. I call it filling out your self-improvement scorecard, which is a daily behavior tracking sheet. 
And all you do is you reflect on your day. You do that consistently. You start proving to yourself, wait, I can be consistent. Even though the environments around me are not conducive to me doing this, I am returning to it anyway. I must be self-disciplined. That's what this means about me, right? So that's a more tangible example of how you can intentionally build a new mindset, which is of being self-disciplined through the specific actions and behaviors that you engage in consistently, which are in this case, the daily behavior tracking and the discipline on demand, as I call it, subconscious priming audio sessions. So anyway, that's a really kind of like, that's a really tactical example, but it works. I help people through this and they say that the conversation in their mind literally changes and that they find themselves doing things on autopilot that are within the integrity of their best self because they've been able to cultivate that mindset intentionally with the challenge. So anyway, you asked for it. So I gave it to you. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. And I want to talk a little bit more about something that you mentioned. And I love the idea of this self-improvement card, but about behaviors. So our behaviors, like you said, come from that subconscious mind, that identity. And something I'm passionate about is really helping people understand each other. And like knowing like yesterday, I was at a coffee with one of my kids and this guy was yelling and yelling at the cashier and was outbursting at them. And obviously there's something underlying in his belief core system. And so I would love your insight on like how, how we, in terms of identifying like our identity and subconscious. And obviously, like I said, that can influence our behaviors and those outbursts of anger. And like, how can you frame it also in terms of, I always talk about emotional intelligence, which is self-awareness, self-management, relationship management. And I forget the fourth one, but like, how can you frame it in that perspective of our behaviors also influence other people? Like, how do we then shift those beliefs and like really become aware of not only are we managing ourselves, but we're also influencing those around us. Yeah. I mean, I think it's recognizing the power that you have and that we are living in a constantly evolving environment, right? So I talked about the influence of environment. We are always our environment and we're always creating an environment for others. One of my coaches taught me something that was really cool, which is everything is an environment and environments are everything. Meaning that you are everything that you see around you. And it's not only like the physical things, the results that you're getting, but also your perception of the things that are around you, right? I do a lot of social impact work in Mexico, building homes and stuff. And I see people that are happy, yet they're in completely different circumstances than me. And I have these first world problems and I'm more upset than they are about certain things. And it's just, it's all about the way that you relate with the environment, which is your own belief system being projected onto the things around you. When you start noticing like, ah, that's not good enough or, oh, this could be better or, oh, I don't have enough of this. That's you. And like, that is the insight. That's the nugget of you to explore. What about me is drawing that conclusion? Why is that the conclusion I chose to make about this thing that is in my environment, which is why your environment is the thing that communicates to you the way that you see the world, because it, it is just your perceived representation of the things around you is your environment. But your environment and your perception of it is uniquely yours. No one else sees it exactly like you do. So that's the first thing. Environments are everything and everything is an environment, right? Then knowing that if you are then an environment for other people, people are perceiving you in the way that you show up. And I've actually had some conflict in this in my personal relationships, which is sometimes people are threatened by my discipline or by my results or ambition or the things that I talk about. And that's not my intention. I'm trying to support them and be the best for them and be an example for them. 
and realizing it's like they're seeing me through their eyes. I'm not in control of the way that they experience me. I'm only in control of what I do and I can hope to shape them to understand my reasons for being certain ways. That comes from their insecurities, their biases, whatever it might be. If they get threatened by my self-discipline, it's because it represents something within them that is painful, right? And so now they're trying to process that by placing it on something else. It makes them feel better by having a negative judgment of someone else instead of looking at their own negative judgment of themselves, right? That's the responsibility of being a human is you are constantly an environment. And the more open conversation you can have with the people around you, sharing with them your intentions and exactly why you're doing things for those reasons in the context around it helps them to then draw those more natural conclusions that allows you to infiltrate them in more of a positive way and influence them in a more positive way than you otherwise would. So yeah, no, environments are everything and everything is an environment. I love that phrase. I'm going to, I'm going to keep it in my back pocket. Obviously on this podcast, we talked about who this, who this target audience is, like how in the scope of self-development, I'm all about self-awareness. And I talk about this on the podcast all the time. And obviously we're talking about it today in terms of leading a team. How could you influence people to people on your team and provide them the space to be able to do this for themselves? And because obviously, like you said, the more space you have to do this self-development work, the better you're going to show up at work. And I feel like a lot of times I've worked in nonprofits for the last 12 years, and I really haven't been provided that space by my leader. It's always been get the outcome work. And until I stepped out on my own and learned what self-improvement was and running my own business, I was like, oh, I can provide this for myself and hopefully for people in the future. And so I would love your advice on like, how can you influence this in a team dynamic without being like, like you said, like, you need to do this, but really being that influential figure so that everyone's showing up for the mission. Totally. Yeah. So I, I, if I heard it correctly, you're asking from the lens of the team leader and how they can. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So (laughs) people don't listen to what you say. They watch what you do, right? So it's all about setting the culture from the top down. So if you want to be intentional about people being more self-aware, taking themselves seriously, expanding their capacity because they're maximizing their energy and self-reflective of what their needs are and not pushing too hard on a Monday, which leaves them neglecting things on a Tuesday and a Wednesday, right? Having that right balance, it starts from the top. So if you can give themselves the space and the permission to do that through your own example, that would be my recommendation. So a few things that are really helpful in establishing culture are like, what are some of the, you, you use the word non-negotiables, right? But I'd say, what are some of the intentions around the ways that people connect? If you want people to get more deep work done, then should the expectation be for everyone to be available at any time? Or should it be that, oh, we're going to schedule a call because I respect your time and the deep work that you're doing? Or if you want people to look more positively or relate more positively with each other and with customers or donors, whoever it might be, then how do you prime each conversation with a, hey, say one thing you're grateful for to just be able to like get people in that energy. So in order for that to really be felt by the employees and for employees to, because it's like, you can be told like, hey, take a personal day when you need it. But then you feel guilty doing it being like, oh, but now I'm putting work on someone else's plate and it's just going to create more harm than good. I'll just tough it out. And you're just burning the candle at both ends. If you as a leader can communicate these are the reasons why I'm taking my personal days or, hey, these are the things that I do outside of work. And hey, I do check out after 5 p.m. 
And I try not to feel guilty about not responding to an email into the morning for X, Y, Z. The more that you can give real examples of your behavior and decisions as a leader, the more permission you give for your employees, your team members to be able to embrace those same qualities within themselves. So it is, and that's how you become the environment as a leader. You are the environment that says, hey, this is my truth. This is what's happening. You can be authentic. You can be vulnerable. You can be honest. And you can be inspiring in the way that you create the kind of life balance. And I think that's more of the point to this, especially in like the nonprofit and social impact sector is the people in the sector are so good. They're so well-intended. They are so talented. They're so selfless and generous. And they do so much for other people that it's, it's unnatural for them to then do that for themselves. So they need that extra permission, that extra step, that extra nudge to be able to consider their own health. And a good leader knows that you're going to get the best out of your team when they're having a good life. Not just they're showing up for work, but they're having a good life. They're taking care of their relationships are solid. They're taking care of their personal health. Their kids are being supported. They're compensated, right? Like those are some of the important pieces to like really allow someone to be at their very best because it's not enough to just show up nine to five and then half check your emails from six to nine when you get home because you feel guilty about not being on and then not sleeping enough and doing it again. What's really good is you work from 10 to four. I'm just using an extreme example. You work from 10 to four, but you are on and the amount of value that you concentrate into that time moves the needle much more than the extra hours that you would have put in outside of it, right? That's all we really want is we want to have our team members contributing to their fullest capacity so that we can make progress on the collective mission. And if that means that it happens in more concentrated bursts because people are happier and they're showing up better, kind of a similar argument to the four-day work week, right? If you're actually on top of this and taking care of it, then that's all that you should really care about. And the process takes care of itself. But that's, that's where a leader can really inject that culture to say, hey, this is what it's like. We're serious about this. We care a lot about this. This is actually what's best for the cause. And I hope that you embrace it alongside me. Yes, I love that input and those perspectives. And I think it comes back to also like your identity and your behaviors. Like for me, it's about urgency, right? Is it urgent for you to send this email or call your employee? Like I've had bosses that have called me at all hours or sent me a text and then I feel like I have to respond, right? Or I've done the same to an employee who is out sick and I'm like, I'm just leaving this in your inbox. And so it takes that level of reflection of why do I feel this sense of urgency? to send this to someone when this person is clearly not in the office or has set that clear boundary. And so it does come back to that introspection and self-reflection of how do I want this interaction to go? How do I want this person to perceive this interaction, right? And also I love, it just comes back to the environment too. And that's such good perspective. And I would love to know, you obviously are all about self-development and have your own self-improvement tracker. What are some of your things and intentions that you do on a daily basis? Oh my gosh. <laughs> Throwing it back at you. Yeah, I practice what I preach for sure. I have a, a morning routine, of course. So I guess the, like, the form of my self-improvement has deepened over the years because I've been able to advance it, right? So it's not just that I have a morning routine because I've been in the habit of prioritizing that and it's something that's so implemented in my day. Now I've been able to improve the quality of it where it's, I get, so what I do is, I stretch in the morning, I meditate, I send a voice note to a friend of gratitude, I do some visualizations and affirmations, like there's, there's a sequence to it. But instead of doing those things and checking the box to say that you did them, you know, that's where I'm trying to get more quality out of those things. So it's, 
I actually have defined what's the intention for this. So it's, I stretch my body because I want, or I stretch every morning because I want to wake up my body. So now when I'm actually doing it, my brain is engaged in how do I flex right now and stretch and push myself so that my body feels awake, right? So I'm that much more alert. Or with my meditation, every single morning, my intention is to create a peaceful presence, right? So then I tap into that, be like, okay, cool. This is what I'm hoping to cultivate in this session. So the distractions of the mind as you're meditating, instead of those having such power, you can recenter back into a core focus, which is to be peaceful, right? So th- that's kind of the the layers of my personal development as it's grown over a decade plus of me like really being in this space. So that's one of the things I recommend. But then the core self-improvement mechanism that I have, which is what I talked about in the the 21-day challenge I was talking about, is my self-improvement scorecard where I'm in the routine every single night of reflecting on the core categories of my life, both qualitatively with data. Did I do these things? Yes or no. And I've gamified it. Give myself a point if I did it, zero points if I didn't, half a point if I did it under certain criteria. And then also quantitative, or sorry, that was quantitative. And then also qualitative, which is how did I feel about this? How energized was I throughout the day? How was my mental health, right? Some of those things that are more just impression-based because I'm really committed to my self-growth and improvement. Like I find a lot of fulfillment in making progress and being more mindful in moments so I can show up at my best because your a great life is made up of great years, which are made up of great months, great weeks, great days, great hours, and great moments, right? So it's like you focus on how are you in the moment to have a great life is basically what I've distilled it down to. So that's that's what I try and do is be accountable every single day to how did I spend my moments? How intentionally was I spending my time? How engaged was I in the things that are most important to me? And then with that moment of awareness, I can get curious around, okay, if I didn't follow through or show up like I expected to, what about that instance can I reflect on? What can I change? What can I improve about it? So that it just is continued process of growth. And that's the think, plan, do review on a daily basis. I think of who I wanna be. I make a plan for my goal for the day. I do it, which is 99% of the day. And then I review it at the end to see how I did make a new plan. And then I do it again, right? So yeah, I can get into the weeds. I've, I track so much that probably I don't need to, but it's helpful for me because I, now I'm about identifying the patterns between me doing certain things and how I feel or how I show up in different ways. And it becomes really an art in that way. And it's very exciting. Not for everyone, but like the core process of behavior tracking, you can't improve what you don't measure. So that's what I incorporate in this challenge. If you want to improve, you want to get better, you want to make progress, you want to be a better person, you got to have some kind of standard around that. And that's where that's like my keystone habit, which is every single day tracking my behavior, seeing how I did. I love that so much. And I love that it, I think behavior tracking is so gratifying because it's not something that happens overnight, but you can see that like you're putting in the effort and making those positive life choices like we talked about. And over time, it does make a difference. And it's so gratifying once you, and I think once you reveal it, because at the end of the day, I used to be like, this is all the stuff I didn't get wrong or didn't get done. But now I'm like, okay, this is who I showed up as getting this stuff done or not getting it done, but I was more present with people or I had coffee with someone and it didn't necessarily result in anything, but it was time well spent, right? And how I showed up in that instance. And so I think that is such an important perspective that you shared. Where can people find you, Brian? I would love for you to join the tribe that listens to the podcast. So I didn't mention this, but for the past five years, I've released a daily podcast episode and it's only three minutes long, right? So it makes it very digestible, very approachable, very easy to build a routine around and for it to impact you every single day. But what I'd recommend for someone who's really starting to get into this work, and I touched on a few of them, but 
I have, I think, linked in most of my podcast episodes, definitely on my weekend ones, a resource that is the seven fundamentals to self-improvement. And these are the things that if you're getting started in your self-development, you'll want to start from the right platform and thinking about things in the right way. And these are a lot of the pitfalls I see people fall into, and it will accelerate your learning curve by years to have this right relationship. So I'd encourage people to check out an episode. Definitely one of the weekend ones has the call to action for you to be able to get that the seven fundamentals for yourself. And then if the 21 day challenge speaks to you, it starts at the beginning of every month, basically, and it changes. I announced it on the podcast. So if, if you're on the email list with the seven fundamentals, you'll be able to become aware of how to build that habit of self-discipline and be able to set the right standards and expectations and habits and boundaries in your life that support you in being the person you want to be and showing up better for your mission, better for your family, and better for yourself. Well, we will link to all of that in the show notes. And thank you so much, Brian. I love, I love talking about this topic. So thank you for shining light and your wisdom and expertise and for having this conversation with me. Thank you so much, Haley. If you have valued these stories or learned something from what you've heard, please share this podcast episode or follow me on LinkedIn. Thank you so much for your support. And together we can build a better community and world.